This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Continuing our custom of first airing a scary or serious drama, then switching to comedy, first out of the gate tonight is the program Escape. Tonight's show features Jack Moyles as Jeff. Now, he was an American actor best known for starring as cafe owner, amateur detective Rocky Jordan. Escape was radio's leading anthology series of high-adventure radio dramas. It enthralled many listeners during its seven-year run. Actors on the series included William Conrad, Jack Webb, and Barney Phillips, whom we'll hear from in tonight's production. Music was supplied by Del Castillo, and tonight's episode was first aired in 1951, entitled Seven Hours to Freedom. You, finding life rather dull, dreaming again of exotic places, wishing you were somewhere else, we offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Escape with us now to a small fishing boat off the California coast and a night of terror and death at the hands of a brilliant madman as Bud A. Nelson tells it in his exciting story, Seven Hours to Freedom. The Pacific Ocean off the coast of Southern California is usually thought of as calm and peaceful, where there's very little danger. But don't take the Pacific for granted, or you'll be writing your name in foam and throwing it into the wind. There can be trouble out there, all kinds of trouble. The winter months are the lean ones along the coast. Lou and I scrape the bottom of the barrel to make fuel and stores for my boat, the Merry Widow. Rigging for mackerel is fishing the hard way. You've seen the mackerel fleet sneak up on the coast. Those ghostly cities of lights offshore. Guys like Lou and myself trying to make a payload with lights and stinking chum. Mashed, marinated muck you toss overboard with your bare hands to attract the fish. We were anchored alone west of Point Doom Whistle Boy, about a mile out. It was dark except for the spot we flashed on the water the flashing of headlights on Highway 101, where it dips down to the shore to get a run for Zuma grade. There were mackerel around, and they were ready. Come on, baby! Up you come! And a boy, Lou! Keep them coming! Right. I'll move the chum out into the light. Hiya, hiya! Come on, kids! Free chow! Good, juicy, chovey face! Come and get it! 
Swarming into the spot. They worked the edges, Lou. Yeah. They're about ready for the net. Oh, look at them. Three or four pounders. Show me the spot, boy. Lay it right in front of me. They're ready for the net. Uh, currents offshore. Drag toward me. All right. He's in tone. Oh, boy. They're hot and heavy. That net's alive. Now, fellow up. Train them. Green dynamite. Come on, kiddies. Come to pop. Beauties. Good boy, Lou. Keep him coming. Swamp us. That's the way it works. If you hit it, you forget the smell, the scum, the numbness in your hands, the icy water in your boots. You forget you're heaving 30 to 50 pounds on the end of an eight-foot pole. And you see dollars pile up in the bin boards on your deck. You forget everything around you until... They're gone. You notice that there is a world around you. Uh, there they go. School's out. Uh, two tons at least. Yeah. Uh. Ah, looks like another wreck on Zuma Grade. Yeah. Look at the headlights. People just can't pass up an accident. Must be a pretty bad one. I'll take a boat any day. Yeah, let's get out of here. We can make it back in time for chow. Yeah. Six fried eggs seasoned with Tabasco sauce, bowl of chili, and a pot of black coffee. That sounds good to me. Boy, that stuff sure gets cold. Yeah. Hey, get the anchor. Let's get out of here. Fire up. I'm for it. Okay. Run up on it. Get in. Hold it. What's the matter? Anchor's bowed. Wanna back down on it? Feels like rock. Uh, take a turn on the cleat. Let the swell break it loose. Hey, she's really caught fast. Uh, wait a minute, Lou. Give me some slack. I'll back off. Come here. What's up? Look. Company. Yeah. What the devil are those guys doing out here in a little rowboat at this hour? They're either drunk or crazy. They're sport fishermen. I don't see any tackle. Ahoy there! Wait! Please wait! Oh, they're in trouble. Look. Guy in the stern. Hunched over. Hey, get the boat hook, Lou. I'll rig a pendant. Tide's doing more good than the oars are. These boys aren't seamen. Ah. Watch the roll when he pulls you alongside. Hey, you in the bow, catch the rack. Hold yourself off. Hold it on, Jay. We have an injured man here. Lend a hand. Yeah, sure. Tell get aboard. Ellis, help Stacy. Help him. Ed, wait. Give me your hand. Thank you. Take it. Now, my injured friend. Uh, you and a skip. Yeah. Hand him to me. Yeah. Now, right here. Uh, lift him as high as you can. Now, now, slip your hand out. Okay. Yeah. 
got him. Now, Lou, open the hatch to the cabin. Right. Now, move that gear off the bunk. Unfortunate thing. Very unfortunate. Mm. Now, hand me the first aid kit. Now, on the bulkhead behind you. Completely unnecessary. Efficient shooting, wouldn't you say? Perilously near the heart. Yeah. Fatally near. Here, put the kit back. It's too late. How'd this happen? Loaded gun. <laughs> yes. Loaded gun in expert hands. This may be pretty funny to you, mister, but I don't think it'll go over very big with the police. The police? No, I suppose not. Poor Stacy, his fourth and final loss. Look, mister, what's the story? Oh, that's right. <laughs> you came in at the end. Uh, but first... What... What's a gun for? Your protection and mine. Forgive me, young man, for pointing this at you. I use it only to establish command. Outside. Go on. Clerk, I'm getting pretty sick of your fancy yapping and no action. Yeah, master mind, you got us in for this? Now come up with a way out. My friends despise me, Captain. Look at them. Young Ellis. Shut up, Clerk, I warned you. He's a coward, a thief, and a murderer who fancies himself equal to any known knife artist. You know I'll kill you, don't you, Burke? If it's the last thing I do, I'll cut that fat off of you. It will be the last thing you do, Ellis. And Dowd there. He killed two men, wasn't it, Dowd? Two defenseless men. Feed on, you greasy slob. You're digging your grave with your tongue. And Stacy, poor dead Stacy. Keep talking, Burke. Keep flapping your big mouth while the law sets up another trap. Why don't we get rid of these two punks and get moving? Yeah, give me that gun, Burke. You ain't got the guts to do nothing. You're all talk. Give me that gun. Stay right where you are, Ellis. You two, Dowd. I supplied the intelligence that saw us this far. And I really don't need you anymore. Sit down. Both of you sit down right by that tank. Yeah, yellow bird. Clean dirty yellow. Make me sit down. Go on, Bert. Make me sit down. I don't want to have to fire this gun. Sound carries over water. Talk big, Burke, while you've got that gun. The only gun down. That highway is swarming with police cars now. They're saying dead or alive. The choice is up to you. Make one move toward me or these fishermen, and I make the choice. You make that choice. You chose to lead us into a trap because you didn't have the guts to shoot a measly highway cop. You got Stacy shot. You wrecked the car. Then you nearly drowned us in that leaky rowboat. You can thank me in that leaky rowboat that you're alive right now. I feel very kindly toward that rowboat. Pull it aboard. Go on, pull it aboard. You two may need it. One false move and you'll find yourselves adrift. Captain, get the anchor up. Take in what slack we can get, Lou. 
Blind parts. Parts. You will set your course by this pistol, Captain. Our destination is Mexico. Good work, I A word of warning, Captain. I seem to stand low. These fools I took through prison walls have turned against me. But I still have a pistol. How far is the international border? Seven, eight hours. I prefer seven. Seven hours to freedom. My freedom. And seven hours for us to consider your fate. You can start out to count the laughs in the Red Skelton show, but you'll wind up laughing so hard yourself, you lose the count. No question about it, Red Skelton is a very funny man with a very funny show. And this fall, you hear Red Skelton every Sunday evening on CBS. Rated to top comedian, Skelton has a special form of humor, a unique brand of madcap hilarity that leaves him gasping. You'll have a grand time. It's entertainment at its best. Be sure to listen to the Red Skelton show every Sunday evening over most of these same CBS stations. And now, we return you to Escape. Dawn broke with a Los Angeles harbor light well on our stern. Mary Widow's bow pointed at Mexican waters and the pistol in Burke's fat hand setting the course. The morning was foggy. Other things were clear. Someone along Zuma Beach would find their rowboat missing. We had a dead man in the cabin, and the lives of Lou and I hung on the whim of a fat maniac. Our only hope was a radio. I switched the frequency to Coast Guard, tripped the mic to transmit, and hoped that someone would be listening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's more pleasant up here on the bridge, Captain. The cabin is somewhat stuffy. What's your master plan for the body? Loathsome things, dead man. Much as I'd like to dispose of it, we can't risk cluttering our trail. Let us hope there will be no more. There needn't be, you know, if you cooperate. Yeah. And the Merry Widow's at your disposal, Mr. Burt. As long as you hold that gun on the crew, there's no choice but to take you to Mexico. We don't have too far to go, uh... Just about due west of Long Beach, making 18 knots. You are unduly nervous, Captain. Is it the pistol? <laughs> Look at our friends huddled together down there in the stern. <laughs> uh, planning my assassination, and no doubt yours. You understand the situation, don't you? No. Then I'll tell you. This gun and I are your buffers, your guardians against the plotters back there. In exchange for this protection, you give me transportation. In a few hours, I will be a free man, and I shall go my way alone. Maybe. Radio. The radio. I underestimated you, Captain. Very clever. Well, I tried. 
I assume I've been broadcasting for some time. You have. Direct to the United States Coast Guard. I bow to you. How stupid of me. And you. Up to this point, you've shown some intelligence. These heroics give me no choice. All right, go ahead and shoot. You'll pile into rocks before you hit San Diego. You'll never see Mexico. Lose no pilot, none of you are. You're right. You are still useful. Resume your course. Look, Burke, you're supposed to be the brains of the outfit. If you're even half smart, you'll get in that skiff and head for shore. You better not be on this boat when the Coast Guard catches up with us. If you are a religious man, Captain, I would suggest that you pray they don't catch up with us. Look, mister, my advice to you is to launch that skiff and hit for the beach. You're a fool, Captain. Until your little stratagem shows tangible results, I wait. And you live. Resume your course. Newport Harbor bore off our bow, swung a beam, and slid past the stern. With it went my hopes of help from the Coast Guard out of Newport. No more stations now until San Diego. At the foot of San Clemente's red tile roofs, I saw a Santa Fe streamliner rushing north towards Los Angeles. I wished I was on it and headed in the same direction. How far are we from the border, Captain? Uh, five, six hours. Good. If the Coast Guard heard your radio, they don't seem to be rushing to your rescue. Ha! Take another look, Burke. Dead ahead and bearing down. Hold your course. Don't try to attract them or you die right where you stand. You, low. Yeah? Stay where you are. Hold your course, Captain. Mister, that's a Coast Guard picket boat. They got guns. Ellis, dog. Stand up and wave. Make it look friendly. Don't overdo it. You, Captain, wave too. Wave, wave. <laughs> Look at the fools. The friendly fools waving back. We're just friendly fishermen. They didn't even cut their speed. Two herringbone wakes met, merged playfully, overlapped, and faded. With them went my hopes of help from outside. Our only chance now is to get Burke's gun. The fish knives. But they were back on the cleaning chute, neatly racked. I turned to look. Gone. Three knives gone. My hand rested on the clutch lever, cast bronze, complete with grip and detachable. I had to get that gun. I tripped the key that locked the lever and... Come here! I want to talk to you. Got a deal. I've been expecting this. They're ready to cooperate. You, Lou, down the ladder. Just in case our good captain entertains any rash notions, you will be our hostage. Go ahead. Happy to oblige. Step right back to the little group. I watched helplessly while Lou led the way aft where two criminals sat, backs to the bait tank. They rose as Burke lurched toward them against every roll and pitch of the boat. Ellis suddenly stepped between Lou and Burke. The pistol roared harmlessly. Burke slumped balloon-like as Dowd tore the pistol from his hand. Ellis, knife in hand, kept slashing. Stop, Ellis! Lay off! No. Lay off, I said! Give me that knife! Give me it! And I cut him the fat slob. He didn't believe me, eh? Look at him! Blubber! Blood and blubber! Come on, Lou! Up that ladder there to your buddy! Go on! Yes, sir.
Sit down there and stay put. You buster, keep this thing moving. Which way? Like Burke said, Mexico. As long as we come this far, we go all the way. Driving closer to shore. How close? I'll tell you how close. Hey, now, wait a minute. I'll pick out a spot to beach the skiff. Then we'll move back outside the three-mile limit until dark so that Mexican patrols can't find us. Ain't that nice. In the dark, I move in as close to shore as I can, and you go ashore in the skiff, and I head back up the coast. Just like that, huh? Well, Buster, you better pick a good spot to make a landing, because you're going in with us. Going in with you? What about this boat? Leave it. The Mexican authorities... You're gonna drive this boat right up on the beach. That's what, right up on the beach. Wreck it? Look, Dowd, we draw close to ten feet of water. We'll ground a city block offshore. So what? I can swim. Got nothing to worry about. You ain't gonna need this tub no more. Look, look, Dowd. If we beach this boat, we mark the spot where you go ashore. But put in by skip and you won't attract any attention. My radio shot. It's a it's two hours run back to San Diego. I can't holler anything that'll hurt you. It ain't two hours to Mexican cops. I can't go to Mexican cops. I haven't got a clearance. I'm not going to put into a Mexican port and have my boat impounded, am I? I told you how it's going to be. As soon as the Mexican authorities find this boat with bodies on board, they'll know you boys are over the border and how you got there. Hmm? Well, maybe you got something. Now, I'll talk it over with Ellis. Don't try to... Lou. Yeah? I'm going to fake engine trouble. The master switch. One of us has to get down to the engines. The short hose on the manifold cooling system. Port engine side, salt water intake. Yeah? It's our only chance. Disconnect it. Foul the bilge pump screen. Flood the bilges? Yeah. We risk fire, but it's our only chance to frighten them guys into the skip. Cut it. He's coming back. That's the way it's going to be. How? Like I said first. Pile it on a beach. Now, let's go. Oh, okay. Hey, what's the matter? Are you okay up there, Doug? Well, no. She just quit. Now, we've been beating these engines. She's hot. Get it going. I'll have to get at the engines down below. No, you don't. Step on the starter. Come on, try it. It's hot, I tell you. 180 degrees. Right, look for yourself. It's 40 degrees too hot. Well, what does that mean? It means I got to... No, get you don't. Who? You know what to do? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, check the oil filter first and the screen ahead of the pump. Uh, wait a minute, you. Okay. Try it again first. Go on. It's no use. The trouble's down the engine room. Go on, Lou. Hey, Alice. Yep. Get out in the hole with this guy. Keep an eye on him. Okay, sure. Now, 
Plenty of water now. Plenty. Good. Get going. Plenty of water. All the salt water that should be flowing through the water jackets of two big exhaust pipes pouring into the bilges. And two red-hot manifolds absorbing all the heat of the two big engines. I took a sight on the hull. Chine line, two feet above water. Bilge pumps sucking nothing but air. Ten minutes, riding six inches lower. Half hour, one foot down. Three quarters of an hour, 18 inches lower. Water would be climbing up to drown out the batteries. Exhaust pipes, white hot. I yanked the release on the CO2 system. White clouds sizzled up from below. Fire! Fire, we're sinking! Build yourself water! Fill it fast and blow it down! What are we doing? Get the skiff over the side before she explodes! Fire extinguisher, Lou! Cover me, I'm going below! Get the skiff over! Don't stand there, Dow! Down there, Jeff. Rats left us. I'll be right up. Whew. We nearly overdid it. Wood was smoldering. It's on me. Battery's wet. Inch to go. Oof. Boy, that manifold was hot. Nearly didn't make it. Look that our friends beat water. Yeah, this proves the story about rats and sinking ships. Yeah, come on, Lou. Up on the bridge. Watch their faces now. Hey, uh, did you drop the bilge pump back in the well? No, we need that water in the bilges. Boy, we throw a wake like a little Queen Mary. Turning up 2,800. Uh, still a little hot. I want 3,000. Behind us. We're throwing a weight like a destroyer. Come on, baby. Big, big bird. 3,000. Turn. Come on, around. That's a nice, tight circle. Rough. What are you going to do? Crash him? Ah. Gonna lasso him with our weight. Hell, we let Chop hit their skip from four sides. You think they're in a southeaster? Look at Dowd. Trying to get a feed on us. He's head. There they go. Capsize. That's just what I want. Hang on to the keel of the boat. All right, let him take wood for about half an hour. Brother, that water's cold. <laughs> you should know. Hey, let's see if Dow's still got a gun. I can't tell. Looks like he... He has. But he won't have for very long. His hands will get so numb, you think they're sawed off. Hey, set the bills, pump, Lou. We light the ship while we wait. Oh, and on your way back, you break out that bottle of Johnny Walker. Huh? Might as well enjoy ourselves now that we got them guys where we want them. I wonder about the prices, Lou. Mackerel? Forty-two bucks. No, no, I didn't mean that. I meant bounty. Reward. 
The state of California owes us quite a little dough. Mileage, two ton of spoiled mackerel, one radio transmitter, four escaped convicts, two of them on ice. Well, get the boat hook, Lou. Two live ones are ready for the gas. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today we have brought you Seven Hours to Freedom by Bud A. Nelson, with Jack Moyle starred as Jeff. Featured in the cast were Stan Waxman, Jack Crucian, Barney Phillips, and Lou Krugman. The special music for Escape was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. They met in 1922 and first performed together at the Hill Street Theater in Newark, New Jersey. They continued in small-town vaudeville theaters, married in Cleveland in 1926, and moved up a notch when they signed with the Keith Albee Orpheum Circuit back in 1927. George Burns wrote most of the material and played the straight man. The Burns and Allen team was not an overnight success. Uh, we were a good man-woman act, Burns said. Their career changed direction, though, when they made their first film. In the early days of talking pictures, the studio eagerly hired actors who knew how to deliver dialogue or songs. Well, Burns and Allen earned a reputation as a reliable disappointment act. That's an example of uh, someone who could fill in for a sick or otherwise absent performer on a moment's notice. So tonight from 1943, George gets conned into playing Santa. Well, hello. Come right in. Oh, George, we've got company. This is Phil Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, Makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castile's. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guests, the MGM star Charles Lawton and his charming wife Elsa Lanchester, Jimmy Cash and Felix Mills and his orchestra. And now, meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. That's a swell-looking Christmas tree you got, Gracie. Oh, isn't it handsome? I picked this tree for sentimental reasons. You did? Yes. You, you see how it's little at the top and spreads out at the bottom? What's uh, sentimental about it? It reminds me of you. <laughs> Thanks, dear. Oh, won't it be wonderful, darling, spending another Christmas together? You bet. And this year it's got to be a real white one. A white Christmas? Yes. Gracie, it never snows in Hollywood. Oh, I didn't mean that. But remember the sheets we sent to the laundry six months ago? Oh, they're back. Yes. <laughs> we'll have a white Christmas and a starchy New Year, yeah. Oh, remember our first Christmas, George? You were dating me then. Sure, I remember. You kissed me under the mistletoe. <sighs> My, you were a fiery lover. <laughs> I, uh, I was? Yeah. Oh, look, we're under the mistletoe now. 
How about a kiss? Oh, great, sweetheart. Oh, come on. I want to see if your kisses are still fiery. <laughs> okay. Well? Oh, I guess they're not making mistletoe like they used to. <laughs> well, come on. We better get busy and trim the tree. All right. And then we'll go to the pageant rehearsal. Pageant rehearsal? Oh. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Nigel Bolingbroke is staging a Christmas pageant. I'm the Snow Queen, and you're going to be Santa Claus. Look, I'm not going to be Santa Claus for that broken-down pool room bum. But, George, it's a wonderful part. You come down the chimney and put presents in the bottles that are hanging by the fireplace. Wait a minute, and wait then... a minute. Uh, bottles are hanging by the fireplace? Yeah, liquid stockings. <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, you'll be such a cute little Santa Claus with a pillow stuffed in your coat and a Gracie, long... Gracie, Gracie, I'm not going to be in the pageant. Well, you're very silly, dear. A talent scout might see you. Why, Lana Turner was discovered just sipping a soda in a drugstore. Well, maybe Lana Turner had more to offer than I would a Santa Claus. Well, oh, I don't know. With a pillow in front of you, you'd never have... Never mind, never mind. <laughs> Come in. Greetings, good people. She's I, Bolingbroke. Oh, hello, maestro. I was just telling George that we want him to play Santa Claus in our pageant. Yes, and I turned her down, cue ball. Why, you can't be serious, Burns. What a pageant it will be. The very thought of the first scene warms my heart. As the curtain rises, the stage is crowded with little children. Little tots too young to have an agent, all working for nothing. <laughs> yes, that would warm your heart. And then, tally-ho, out upon the stage comes jolly old St. Nick in his sleigh. Drawn by his faithful reindeer, Dunder and Blitzen, Dancer and Prancer, Comet and Garrett Lidecker. Comet and Garrett Lidecker? It's an actor friend of mine Though reduced to playing a reindeer He insists upon full billing <laughs> Look, I don't want to have anything to do With this broken down pageant uh, Apparently, Mrs. Burns We must seek elsewhere for a sucker A Santa <laughs> Oh, I've got it The perfect Santa Claus Charles Lawton Oh, stop Well, he's already got a big bundle <laughs> All he has to do is move it around to the back Gracie, you'll never get a man like Charles Lawton to be in the silly pageant I, Hey, I, folks, am I interrupting anything? Not a thing, Bill Well, friend Goodwin, I'm so happy to see you Your arrival is most opportune Will a half a buck be enough? <laughs> Don't be crude, my dear fella I merely wish to proffer you the role of Santa Claus in our Christmas pageant. Oh, well, you're too late, Q-Ball. I'm taking Santa's place at the department store Toyland this week. Oh, really, Bill? Uh -huh. Oh, I'll bet it's fun giving the kiddies presents. Oh, it is, Gracie. You ought to see their little faces light up when they unwrap them and say, Ooh, look, Sandy gave me a great big bar of swine. <laughs> Uh, that's the present. Well, sure, George. Swan, the new white floating soap is a present for the whole family because it's four soaps in one. The soap for your hands and face, a wonderful soap for bathing the baby, and perfect for dishes and light laundry. Four swell soaps in one, a great wartime buy. Well, Bill, what if a little girl asks for a doll? Oh, uh, Bill has a special bar of swan that says mama when you break it in two. <laughs> well, the little girls like to climb up on my lap and have me tell them how to wash the dishes with swan. I tell them about those long-lasting swan suds, and I tell them that swan is so mild and gentle they don't have to worry about rough dish panty hands. They like that, huh? Oh, sure. Fascinates them. 
Why, yesterday, a little girl named Nancy sat in my lap for a half hour. Well, is she big enough to wash the dishes? Well, I think so. <laughs> She's 22. Oh, well, if Bill won't be off Santa Claus, I'd better get in touch with Mr. Lawton right away. Oh, now, Gracie, surely you're not serious about this. Surely you wouldn't bother a great actor like Charles Lawton with the silly pageant. I know I can trust you. <laughs> Mama's little dreamer. Gracie, I want you to promise me that you won't ask him. Well... Go on, promise. All right, I promise. Good. Now behave yourself while I go down to the cigar store. Well, I'd better start for Mr. Lawton's house. Well, Gracie, you just promised George. I promised I wouldn't ask Mr. Lawton to be Santa Claus. Yes? But I didn't promise I wouldn't ask his wife to ask him. Oh, oh, you're going to talk to Mrs. Lawton, Elsa well, Lanchester. Sure, sure. The way to a man's heart is through his wife. I thought it was through his stomach. Well, in Mr. Lawton's case, there's a shorter way. Why, Gracie. Hello, Elsa. Come in, dear. It's been ages since I've seen you. Yes, I guess the last time was at Maggie Ettinger's party. That's right. Charming affair, wasn't it? Oh, delightful. She's such a wonderful hostess. Of course, the sandwiches were terribly small. True, and the cocktails were rather poisonous. And the flowers on the table were all droopy. Most of the guests were droopy, too. Yeah, and Maggie had on the same dress she's worn at the last three parties. The last four? But it really was a charming party. Oh, delightful. <laughs> well, i better get down to business, Elsa. Do you think Charles would like to play Santa Claus in a Christmas pageant? Santa Claus? Yes. It would be a nice change from his movie work, and I know how tiring that can be. What do you mean? Well, George and I saw him in a picture not long ago, and I remember saying, George, Charles must be working too hard. He doesn't look well. What picture was that? Uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> yes, he did look a bit seedy in that one. But he'd look fine as Santa Claus. Why don't you have George play the part? Well, I asked him to, but he wouldn't do it. You mean he refused? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's absurd. After all, he's only a husband. Well, doesn't Charles ever refuse? I should say not. He wouldn't dare. Gracie. Does George wear the pants in your house? Well, not so much in the house, but always when he goes out. <laughs> I mean, is is he boss? Oh, sure, sure. You've obviously let him get out of hand. Can't you control him at all? Well, George was pretty well under control the first few years we were married, but then my mother left. <laughs> But, Gracie, the wife must be boss. For example, Charles serves me breakfast in bed. Does George do that? Oh, no, no. He makes me come down to the table before he serves mine. <laughs> what about closing the windows and turning the heat on in the morning? Oh, well, I've been doing that recently. It's icy cold in the room when we wake up. Paul, the more reason why you should make George do it. Oh, I don't have the heart, Elsa. He lies there and looks at me so pathetically with those two big blue lips. <laughs> Soft, Gracie. Be like me. Keep Charles under your thumb. My. I lay down the law and he obeys it. Gee. I crack the whip and he jumps. Really? Absolutely. 
and to prove it, I, I promise you that Charles will play Santa Claus because I'll order him to play it. Oh, yes, sweet. So full of the real Christmas spirit. Come on, come on, let's go up to the attic. There's a red flannel nightshirt there that I, that I made him stop wearing. It might do for part of the costume. Well, why did you make him stop wearing it? Oh, bad for my nerves. He looked exactly like a burning building. <laughs> Well, while the girls were in the attic, Mr. Lawton came home. He just hung up his hat when there was a knock at the door. Oh, hello. Come on in, George. Oh, thanks, Charles. Thanks. Say, Charles, I'm looking for Gracie. Is she here? Why, George, how flattering. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought uh, maybe uh, I asked Gracie... Uh, I, I, I asked Gracie to tell you that she, uh, for you not to be in her Christmas passion. I told her not to do it, but I thought maybe she did anyway. You meant she might have disobeyed you? Yeah, sure. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's absurd. After all, she's only a wife. Well, <laughs> doesn't Elsa ever disobey you? I should say not. She wouldn't dare. You're too soft, George. You let Gracie run over you. Really? Certainly. You're the husband. You're entitled to be boss. Who brings the money in your family? Who earns the living? I say you, you, you are in rather an awkward spot, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I, I guess so. Believe me, I keep Elsa under my thumb. My. I lay down the law and she obeys it. She? I crack the whip and she jumps. Really? Absolutely. Uh, you wear the pants around here, huh? I haven't had them off in 17 years. <laughs> Boy, uh, you you go out whenever you want to, huh? Not a question. Your wife doesn't complain when you have the boys over for poker? She wouldn't dare. Well, how does she feel about smoking cigars in the living room? I'd never let her do it. <laughs> no, I... I mean, can you do it? I do as I please. And if Elsa so much as raises an eyebrow at me, I turn her across my knee and spank her. What was that, Charles? Oh... Hello, darling. I didn't know you were home. Evidently not. Gracie, give me that flannel nightshirt. Oh, here you are, Elsa. Charles, take this to your room and throw legs on it. You're going to be Santa Claus. Don't argue with me, fat boy. <laughs> go to your room. Yes, dear. Oh. George Burns, you go and help him. But, Gracie... Don't argue with me, skinny boy. Yes, dear. <laughs> this is fun. Here's our popular young tenor, Jimmy Cash, with Felix Mills and the orchestra, and an old favorite that's coming to the fore again, a ballad called Paul. Jimmy? The evening ever brings to me dreams of days that used to be, memories of Sorry. 
crickets call, my heart is forever yearning, once more to be returning home. When the hills conceal the setting sun, stars begin a peeping So you don't wear the pants in your family after all. No, George, I confess. I wear the girdle. <laughs> I can't believe it. A big guy like you afraid of your wife. It's a secret I've kept from the whole world. Why, outside of my home, everyone's afraid of me. Policemen tremble when I talk to them. Truck drivers get out of my way. Department store clerks actually wait on me. <laughs> <laughs> but at home, you're a milk toast. Yes, it's terrible. I, I went to a psychoanalyst... What did he say? He said, talk back to your wife. Don't be afraid of her. He was a single man. <laughs> I guess that. But Charles, why are you so afraid of Elsa? Does she beat you? Oh, of course not. That's just the point. She's sweet to me, and I love her. But I want to be boss, and she won't let me. <laughs> say, I long to be the caveman type. I go to a Humphrey Bogart picture and just sit there and drool. <laughs> Well, haven't you ever gotten up uh, enough nerve to do anything about it? Well, once I did lose my temper, Elsa criticized my work. That got you, huh? Yeah, so I took off my apron, threw down my broom, and walked out of the house. <laughs> You're a tiger. You know... Come in. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Lawton, I was looking for Gracie. Oh, hello, George. Hello, Belle. Charles, this is Bill Goodwin. How do you do? Well, gee, Mrs. Lawton, you don't have to stick your tongue out at me. That's his lip. He's pouting. Oh. He's hempecked. Ah, oh, go on. Not Charles Lawton. He's too tough. Well, I can still hear him saying, Mr. Christian, come here. Scrub my back with swan. <laughs> I don't recall that. <laughs> well, Charles, you must try it sometime. Swan's not only great for your bath or for bathing the baby, but it's just a soap for dishes and light laundry. Swan's the new white floating soap that's four swell soaps in one. Hey, Bill, we're serious. Gracie saw Elsa dominate Charles, and now I'm henpecked, too. Well, what are you, George, a man or a mouse? Get tough with Gracie. Scare her. Oh, tell her I'll leave her? No, don't bribe her. Scare her. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you how both of you can scare your wife. How? Tell him, tell him you won't let him bathe the babies with Swan. What babies? Well, any babies. Oh. Swan's great for all of them. Doctors recommend it because it's pure as fine Castile's, and it's so mild it's kind even to a little baby's tender skin. 
Which, incidentally, is a tip-off to the fact that it's swell for your hands and face, your complexion. Say, Charles, maybe we should try to scare our wives. You're right. If we're ever going to get the upper hand, now's our chance. While there's a shortage of men. <laughs> right. Now you're talking. Once and for all, end that myth about the better half. You, we will. There's no such thing as a better half. Both halves are equally good. Sure. So when you break swan and two, put half in the kitchen and half in the bathroom. <laughs> So long, Bill. You can, you can put your half in the bathroom for your tub or shower. Out, Bill. Or you can put it in the kitchen for the dishes or light laundry. Out. George, let's go in there and pin their ears back. Okay. We'll show them who's boss. You said it. We'll scare the life out of them. I'll say we will. You go first. <laughs> well, we better go in together. You're right. United we stand. That's the stuff. Nothing can stop us. Now you're talking. We're husbands on the warpath. That's us. Let's have a drink first. That's a good idea. One quick one to give us nerve. Yes, I'll cut some lemon and put on the teapot. Mm. Oh, never mind that. Let's go in and get, get this over with. Right you are. It's now or never. Sure. Our wives can't push us around. I'll say. Men are meant to be masters, not women. Right. Do you think we'd better arm ourselves? Oh, come on. We're not afraid of them. Remember Captain Blythe. Very well. Are you with me? Yes. Let's go. Good. Mrs. Lawton. Mrs. Byrne. Yes, sir? Yes, sir. Sit down. Sit down. We are sitting. And stand up. <laughs> stand up. Charles, what is the meaning Quiet. of that? Quiet. We have come to deliver an ultimatum. Yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> Henceforth, we will give the orders, not you. And to start with, we will not play Santa Claus. That's right. So you can take this Santa Claus suit and stuff it in the chimney. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, my goodness, what happened? Charles must have gotten into my vitamin capsule. <laughs> well, Elsa, if we let them get away with this, we're sunk. You're right. They might tell other husbands and organize. Yeah. And men are scarce now, even men like ours. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I've never seen Charles like this before. Oh, I could handle your husband, but I wouldn't know what to do with George. Charles. George is no problem. Say, I have an idea. I'll handle your husband and you handle mine. It's a deal. Mr. Burns, may I see you alone for a moment? Why, of course, Elsa. Oh, and Mr. Lawton, I'd like to speak with you. What is it, Elsa? Sit down, George. I'll sit here at your feet. Well, if that's the way you like it, it's... <laughs> your feet have so much character, George. What size are they? Elevens. <laughs> the best size. There can be no nonsense about a man who has so much of him on the ground. <laughs> Look, if you're trying to flatter me into playing Santa Claus, oh, you... Oh, no, George. I admire you for refusing. You are so virile, so masterful. Well, Charles spoke up, too. Only because he had your strength to lean on. Really? <laughs> you are strong, aren't you, George? Well, I'm not exactly a panty waist. <laughs> Modest boy. Flex your arm and let me feel your muscle. Okay. Grab hold. Go on. Flex it. It's flexed. <laughs> How nice to have smooth muscles that don't make lumps. <laughs> yeah. Your personality... And your gorgeous, resonant voice. I misbehave all by myself. Oh, 
You sing, too. Of course. Do you ever sing any lighter things, such as Christmas carols? Oh, sure. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Magnificent, George. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Incredible. You actually seem to have bells that swing back and forth in your throat. Oh, it's a tonsils. <laughs> what a pity the world must be robbed of such beauty. Huh? If you played Santa Claus and made your entrance singing jingle bells, it would be the theatrical event of the century. Bigger than the Avon comedy fall? <laughs> I, I think so. Well, why discuss it? I admire the stand you've taken and you mustn't change it. Wait a minute. You can't tell me what to do. I can't? No. If I want to play Santa Claus, nobody can stop me. Oh, George, you're so strong. So terribly strong. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> So, Mrs. Burns, if you have any notion of wheedling me into the part of Santa Claus in your moth-eaten pageant, forget it. I won't do it, and that's final. Then I may as well go? You may as well. All right. I won't bother you anymore. May I have a picture of you to take with me? You women seem to picture me. <laughs> yes. And, and if it's not too much trouble, please sign it. To Gracie, from the greatest actor of all time. Oh, it's no trouble at all, my dear. Uh, do you really think I'm the greatest? Oh, certainly. I've seen lots of actors, but your head and shoulders and so on and so forth above them all. Well, very well. Here's your picture. But you didn't write from the greatest actor of all time. It's stamped on all my pictures. Oh, my, you're handsome. I can't understand those silly people who stand in line for hours to see an Errol Flynn movie. I wait until one of your pictures is playing, and then I go right in and pick out the best seat in the house. I had no idea you were such a devoted admirer. Oh, I'm not the only one. You know, I saw a revival of Henry VIII not so long ago, and when you played one scene, the whole audience was in tears. Uh, the scene where I was a feeble, broken old man. No, the scene where you took a big bone with lots of meat on it and threw it to the dog. <laughs> One time, that was considered quite amusing. <laughs> I love to hear you deliver lines, Mr. Larkin. Those rich, beautiful sounds come pouring out of you like wine out of a barrel. <laughs> um, uh, 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 thank you, I think. <laughs> oh, You could take just any old words and make them sound wonderful. Like, for instance, ho dancer, ho prancer. Doesn't Santa Claus say that to his reindeer? Yes. Try it. Ho dancer, ho prancer. So it does sound good. <laughs> of course it does. I'm, I'm not satisfied. I, I see dancer as a more delicate deer than prancer. How's this? Um, ho dancer. Who Prancer? Oh, oh, you're cute. <laughs> no, 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 Prancer needs to be polished. I see Prancer as a frisky animal, always kicking up his heels, something like this. Ho, Dancer. Ho, 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 Prancer! <laughs> oh. oh, what a pity the 
that such a great performance should never be heard. But it shall be heard. I insist that it be heard. Oh, you're so masterful, Charles. I guess I'll have to give in. Well, Tracy, your problem is solved. George is in there, and he's agreed to play Santa Claus. What? Over my dead body? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gracie, it looks like you're going to have two Santa Clauses for your pageant. Well, yeah. I think the admission tickets will have to be brown ration stamps. (laughs) Well, won't we be giving the audience the two biggest hams in the world? George, you know who our guest is next week? John Garfield. Oh, sure. Oh, that poor boy. He's always been throwing into prison. Oh, yes. They throw him into prison for $30,000 a week. (laughs) Say, do you think we can spring him in time for our show? I'll talk to his agent. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thanks to our guests tonight, Elsa Lanchester and her husband, Charles Lawton, who appeared with the kind permission of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical, Thousands Cheer. The makers of Swan, the new white floating soap, join George and Gracie in inviting you to tune in to your Columbia station again next week, same time, when we'll have as our guest, John Garfield. Remember, George Burns and Gracie Allen, CBS, next Tuesday night. And now till next Tuesday, this is Bill Goodwin saying, Well, I, Swan, how about you? And also adding, tomorrow night, don't miss the big radio treat of this year and every year. Lionel Barrymore as old Scrooge in Charles Dickens' immortal Yuletide story, A Christmas Carol. It'll be broadcast over most of these same stations at this same time tomorrow night. Get the whole family to listen to Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol starring Lionel Barrymore, the only time this season that Mr. Barrymore will broadcast this great Christmas story. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Dragnet, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schonabel for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.